And I, I think if you're here tonight, God wants to, to do something in your heart, for your heart, with your heart. <laughs> um, so turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about love tonight. Um, let me just read down through the first five verses, and then we'll, we'll chat a bit about love. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Last week we talked about this a little bit, how that, that Paul had really received a unique and special revelation from God, uh, not from the other apostles, from Jesus to the apostles to Paul, but Paul himself had gone away, and he had actually gone into heaven, uh, some level of heaven, and had had fellowship with Christ and had received a revelation that was specific to us, the Gentiles. And is there anyone in here who's Jewish? Is there anyone in here who has a, a Jewish mother? I, I ran into somebody that surprised me the other day. They were Jewish. Uh, you wouldn't know it by the way they, you know, live. Uh, they live just like the rest of us Gentiles, but... I guess it wasn't anybody that's here tonight. Anyway, um, and so he had lived for 30 or 40 years going and establishing all of these churches. And then he realizes he's going to be moving on. And he has two or three young men. Timothy's one of them. And so this letter is a passionate pouring out of his understanding of how the gospel is supposed to work. Uh, so you've got to have that passion behind you when you hear what he's saying. He's, he, it's not just writing a, a manual on how to be a Christian. It is passing on the revelation of God that's got to proliferate into all the world. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul is writing this letter to his son, his beloved son. He had picked him up, I think, over either Lystra or Derby, uh, back in the book of Acts. And he had left him at Ephesus after they'd founded the church, had a big revival. They'd come back through, and Paul realized, hey, there's some, some crazy teaching going on here. And so he left Timothy, and later on he writes a letter to Timothy and says, Timothy, I left you there so that you could make sure and charge everyone that they don't teach any other doctrine. Now, when we hear the word doctrine, we often think of words like eschatology, soteriology, pneumatology, theology. But when he talks about doctrine, you're going to see what the end of doctrine is for Paul here in just a second. So they've been speculating about things. They, have, they always ask these questions, that, that gender, the gender questions, and they're trying to answer uh, from the Scripture things that aren't answered. And Paul says, you've got to stay away from those but the aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is, this is the doctrine that he's talking about. He's saying, don't let 
anybody cause you to swerve from the doctrine of love. Okay, that, that may sound milquetoast to you. If it does, maybe you've been affected by the uh, leaven of the Pharisees. Love is the central truth that Paul calls Timothy to in this letter. And he says, it's love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's important that we understand those three things are the small streams that come together and create love in Timothy. And so we're going to talk about those a little bit tonight. But first of all, let me just say that I think this is for us tonight. How many of you all remember the fast from last year? And the end of that fast was simply this. God was calling us back to where? Our first love. And which church was it that had lost their first love? And where was Timothy when this letter was written to him? Ephesus. And so one of the key books for us in founding the church was Ephesus. And uh, it, it's sort of a, a center of a lot of the teaching that goes on. The Apostle John, who is really sometimes known as the Apostle of Love, spent his last years there, and we believe Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, was also in Ephesus. After they got kicked out of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., uh, John relocated to Ephesus, and it's from there that he was kicked out into Patmos Isle where he, he got this vision, and it was his home church that he starts with, and he says... The angel told me you got a problem. You, you, you need to come back to your first love. You're great. You, you know, you hate these, uh, these, this false teaching, but, but you've left your first love, and you got to come back to it. And, and to those uh, who, who, who do this, they will be able to remain in the household of God forever. Just come back to your first love. That was, that was the word of the Lord to us subjectively in prayer as we sought God. And so I hope over this year you have been clawing your way back <laughs> into that place of just resting in first love. <clears throat> so um, it's true, and I, I think also it's true textually. I, I, I looked at several commentaries, and Brent and I, we were talking. Timothy is almost like, it, it reads almost like a manual, you know, it's like what you get with your refrigerator, and, uh, and, and you need to read it to make sure you do everything right. It reads that way. But there is this overarching theme, which is love. Paul says the end of all of this is love. And so we've got to learn to read the sometimes technical explanations about how a man is supposed to become an elder in the context of resting in the love of God and becoming what God's called us to be. So, love, love is not necessarily originally a Christian idea. Actually, it is an idea that existed in God before time and was well established in the Jewish religion. Uh, how many of you all know the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is, and thou shalt... The Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't say in your neighbors yourself. However, if you go over to Leviticus 19, it does say that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so the whole idea of love is not something that, that Paul's made up 
or even that Christianity with Christ began love. Love has always been who God was. God didn't change. And again, I think sometimes we sort of look at the Old Testament as, well, the Old Testament was full of the law, and the New Testament is where you have love. No, the Old Testament was full of love. And the law used properly, Paul tells Timothy, has a place. It still has a place. The law still has a place. We may talk about that uh, in one of our teachings, but, but Paul is, is, is picking up the theme, really, that Jesus brought over from the Old Testament. Remember those times in the, in the Gospels when he's talking to people and he gets asked the question? Or sometimes he asks the questions, what's the greatest commandment? You familiar with that? He does it in Matthew, does it in Mark, does it in Luke. And it's always in a different context. I'm going to read one of those to you. But, but Jesus was, was picking up this idea of what we're all about is understanding God's love to us and our love back to him. So let me read this one from Luke. It's chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to test to test him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God and love your neighbor. Simple. Do this, and you will live. Now, this context in Luke is pretty interesting. So this guy gets the answer right. Jesus, yep, you got it. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, in other words, what goes on in his mind, okay, Jesus just told me I've got to love my neighbor as myself, but there's some people I just plain don't like. Uh, so, in order to justify himself, remember he's a scribe, and so they cut it and dice it. So he knows you've got to love your neighbors yourself, so he asks this question, and we know that he's got somebody he, he, he doesn't love because he, the Bible says he's doing this to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we're at a place in church history where Jesus is bringing to bear on the people of God that you must love 
other people. But there are people you don't want to love. <laughs> and basically what happens is Jesus presents the gospel. He presents the soon coming history in this story of the Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is the one who did not go to the other side, but came and divested himself of his own goods for the good of the one who was, was in need, the one that others wouldn't love. And so right here, uh, Jesus is, is saying, listen, here's the situation. The commandment has always been there. You can't do it. You're in trouble. You need a friend to come along and pour wine and oil into your wounds to change you. Now, go do that. But still at this point, it couldn't be done. It had to be after the gospel. It, the good news is that what we could not do before Jesus came, we can do now. And this is the doctrine that Paul is talking about. Um, over in James 2.8, again, it talks about love. It says, if you keep the royal commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. And it appears in this context of loving people that don't necessarily have the ability to love back to you. And so, we were called to it in the Old Testament. They failed. Jesus came, and he began to unravel the whole thing and to say, it begins with you being loved by me, the Good Samaritan. And uh, so, Paul then picks the theme up from the other side of the cross, and he really believes that we can love each other because we have been loved. And that's a big part of what he explains here in the book of Timothy. Now, for Paul, when he says love, it's not this mystical, subjective feeling for other people, but I'll go ahead and read this. I, I'm going back to a lot of real pretty, pretty uh, common scripture for us, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what Paul understands love to be. Patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. I thought I'd just stop on that one and let it sink in. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You are able to do that. You are able to live that way because of what Christ has done in your life. And, and Paul says, this is the end of the commandment. Timothy, I'm leaving you there to make sure people don't get off task, that they realize ultimately everything in the gospel is about love, and you've got to rest there. So, Paul gives three streams that sort of come together into this river of love. What are they? A pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith, or a faith unfeigned, or faith that is not 
hypocritical. And so, folks, I believe God again tonight is calling us back to our first love, and that is a love that, first of all, recognizes what God has done. We'll get to that in a minute. But then out of that, we are empowered by the grace of God to be lovers who, who love other people. But that happens in us as the gospel comes to us. Love is a thing that flows out of us. It, it, is, it is actually God being manifest in us by the Spirit that flows out of us. So, so the first thing is a pure heart. A pure heart is a heart that's unmixed toward God. Basically, it is a heart that has been captured by the gospel. You have seen what Jesus did, and you are enamored with that, and that has captured your heart, and that is where you live. Boom. That fixes everything. If you can get to the place where you are captured by what God has done in your life, and you can live in praise and worship of that, that will solve all of your problems. That was a deep revelation. And some of you are just kind of going, can we, I'm Pentecostal. You may not be, but I am. And love would try to help me out here. So, so be a little loving and, and give me an amen. <laughs> um, have, have you ever, does anybody here put creamer in your coffee? I don't always put creamer in my coffee, but every now and then I do. Have you ever, have you ever looked down and seen all of a sudden there's little coffee grounds, one or two coffee grounds floating in your coffee? Has anybody ever done that? You don't see it if you don't put the creamer in. You know, I've drank coffee for ever since college, and I've hardly ever seen coffee grounds, but I guess about a year ago uh, I went to this wedding and they, they had this coffee thing, and they put honey and cream in it. And it was so good, I've started doing that. But now, every now and then, I'll look in, and there'll be little flecks of coffee floating around in my coffee. That's not pure. Pure is when you put the cream in, and there's no flecks. Pure means unmixed. Okay? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First of all, Jesus comes and purifies your heart, but then we're called to purify our heart. Paul talks in two or three places to purify your heart, you double-minded. So the, one of the first places that love is going to get strength is when you purify your heart and keep it strictly on Jesus. Strictly on God has delivered me from Sin, hell, I was going to say in stupidity, but I, some of y'all might argue with that one. Uh, but, but, but he has delivered us, and you've got to be pure in your heart. How many of you all know when a coffee ground floats to the top? And rather than keeping your mind stayed on Jesus, you're impure. How many of y'all know when that happens? Lord, I just want to pray for discernment for the rest of these folks. <laughs> How many of you all are more loving when that coffee ground floats to the top? You're more loving? 
How many of you are less loving when that coffee ground floats to the top? When you get your mind off Jesus, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a guy who cut you off. I don't care if it's, it's uh, you know, your, your spouse uh, doing the thing that bothers you the most. I don't <laughs> I am not going to point people out as, as we give these examples. I don't care what it is. When you get your mind off of the pure appreciation of who Jesus is, you're working against love. So the end of the commandment is, is love. Love is going to come out of a pure heart, okay? The second one, and this one's really important, and we could spend a time on each of these, but... but um, but I want to just get through it so we can just worship tonight around something. The second one is a, a, a pure conscience or a clean conscience, okay? A clean conscience, it's probably best understood where that comes from by going over to Hebrews chapter 9. So let's go there real quick. And let's talk about the second, second point that Paul makes. It's, it's a clean conscience or a clear conscience, and this, this is oftentimes one of the best teachings I get to do at CTS is when I talk about the conscience and how it can become clean. So, um, a clear conscience is the result of what Christ did on the cross. Okay? Over in Hebrews chapter 9, again, it goes back to the Old Testament and it explains what was going on back there. People would sin. People would do bad things. And then a sacrifice would be offered. Okay? And they, it would be like making uh, your, your mortgage payment. All right? So you made your mortgage payment. You're not real worried about it. But the mortgage payment's going to come back around. And what Hebrew says is it could not make the conscience clean. It could roll the sin off. It could deal with it. But the conscience, there's a part of you that says guilty before God. And even though God had found a way to roll the sin away through the blood of bulls and goats, it says that the blood of bulls and goats, let me read it, uh, Hebrews 9, 9. It's a symbolic act. It was for the later age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered, but it cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But down in 14 it says, But now how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your con con uh, conscience from dead works. So that you can serve the living God. Or in other words, so you can live in love. What Jesus did on the cross purged you, forgave you, and your conscience can come before God not owing him a future payment. Hallelujah. So first of all, keep your mind on what Jesus has done. And second of all, what he's done purify you don't owe god a thing other than your whole life so uh, the last one then 
And really, these, these kind of work together. You've got to have a, you, you, it's the pure conscience that causes love to flow. If you're guilty, if you're, if you're unbeknownst to you, contemplating the fact that you cannot live up to what you've called to be, it is very hard for you to love. But when that gets purified, then love can flow through you. And the last thing is faith unfeigned. Faith unfeigned. Or faith that's not hypocritical. The, the word hypocrite is the word that they use for acting in, uh, in uh, Greek drama. And so the, they would put a mask on. And the mask would represent the character or the attitude. It was an actor underneath. And you just related to the face on the outside. Paul says, this love that we're going to walk in has to have its foundation in true faith. Not religion, not trying real hard, but coming to the place that you know, that you know, that you know, that you rest in the fact that you are forgiven and it's kind of like peanut butter and jelly. You know, you can't talk about a pure conscience with talking, out, talking about faith. Because it's faith, and you believe that what Jesus did on the cross paid for your sins. End of discussion. And this is the road to love. The road to love is resting in what we know God has done for us. Now, Paul's going to go on in this book, and he's going to tell you how to live. I mean, he's going to slice it and dice it and say, you need to do this, 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 and this. But every one of those things are loving and must be motivated out of love. If you go to Timothy and get all the lists, but you don't rest in what God's done, then you're going to be up a well-known stream without proper means of propulsion. Then in verse 6 and 7, he comes back, and, and he talks about these people, how they get off the mark. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into empty discussions. Now, stop, stop and think and be honest. Have you ever had anybody that always wanted to discuss something that there's never an answer to, and it always leaves you empty? All the time. Uh, well, I'm going to quit having lunch with you. I'm, I'm <laughs> Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into empty discussions. They want to, they want to teach the law. And I don't know if this means they want to be a teacher up front or they want to act like they know a bunch. There's just something in them. Well, they're really not resting in, in what Christ has done. Um, they don't know what they're talking about, and, and, and they make these confident assertions, you know. Um, and he goes on in the book later on, and he keeps coming back. Man, you've got all kinds of stuff going out, on out here. Timothy, don't let it swerve from the doctrine. Keep it between the lines. Make it about love. 
because that's who God is. And then, and I love this, down in verse 12. In order to make his point, Paul can come up with no better uh, example, no better illustration than his own life. And this is probably why I believe God really wants to capture your heart tonight. It's because this is where Paul says, Matt, I am the chief of sinners. You called us to celebrate Jesus tonight by taking us back to Paul's testimony. And that's the last thing that we're going to go through here. And then after we go through Paul's testimony, I'm going to ask you to take two minutes and contemplate your own testimony. And then, uh, Jake, is Jake in here? Jake, uh, during that time, come up and play. And then at the end, I've got a song I want us to sing. I'll tell you when you get up here what that song is. I'll whisper it in your ear. All right? Okay, so back to the Bible. Verse, uh, verse 12. I think, so, so he said, Timothy, you've got to teach him about love. Here's how love works. You've got to have a pure conscience. You've you, you got to have a pure heart. And you've got to really, really live in faith, trusting that what God has done is complete and is awesome. And you've got these guys who keep swerving and, and teaching other things and getting you off into the weeds, but you've got to bring them back. You know, they talk about the law, and the law is good. We didn't cover this part, but he says the law has its place, but they've got it wrong. And then he comes back and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul does this in different ways in different places. Paul knew who he was because he personally had been commissioned by Jesus. Do you know that tonight? Do you know that tonight? Do you know that you personally have been apprehended by God and commissioned to be his ambassador in the world, whether it is through, uh, through uh, working on a, uh, a factory, if it's working on a human body, if it's working on a cell, if it's working on students, you have been called by God as his representative to fill that place. Paul understood this. He often starts his letters by saying, Paul, an apostle of God, not by man. Look, your identity has nothing to do with what everybody else says you should be. It has everything to do with this fact. God created you for a purpose, and when you got off track, he called you back, and he put you in a place, and he said, now you be what I've created you to be. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecuted, and insolent, an insolent opponent, <laughs> a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I had, to, I, had to, I had to look up insolent, but it's like a really rude, tenacious opponent. Man, before I came to Jesus, I didn't play fair. I bullied, and I pushed, and I was rude, 
and I actually blasphemed God. And when he said I was a persecutor, he didn't mean that he just gave people a hard time. He realized that he had been responsible for the physical pain and we think possibly death of believers in Christ. I know who I am because God has deemed me faithful and worthy. And I know who I was. I can embrace who I was. I was opposed to God, and I was a pain to other people. I did not love God, and I did not love other people. This is who I was. But, and I'm going back to that day, when I finally ended up in Emmaus, was it Emmaus? Where Paul ended up? With the street straight? Damascus. Yeah. I ended up in Damascus, and that guy prayed for me, and my, my, the scales came off my eyes, and I received mercy from God. I had lived in this conviction. I'd lived in this guilt, and I tried to suppress it, but it made me an even meaner person. But he knocked me off my uh, animal. He knocked me to the ground and, and, and led me to this guy, and he prayed for me, and I received mercy. Where I should have been destroyed, I was given new life. Now listen to this. Not only was I put in a new position with God, but I received something. I received grace. I received grace from God. Grace is an empowering of the Holy Spirit. that overflowed me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Grace is not being forgiven. Grace is being filled with love and faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When the grace of God comes, faith dwells up and love begins to flow. See, he's sharing his testimony. Paul went through this. He was tenacious. He was powerful. He was, he was, he was a man of his times. And, but deep down inside, he didn't love God and he didn't love other people. And he may have even argued himself out of believing that was true. But that's what was motivating him and driving him and making him opposed to God. But hallelujah. He found mercy. God wasn't going to kill him. And he was given grace that filled him with faith and love. And then it's interesting. And I think it's important to read that as you come up to the next scriptures. That are beautiful scriptures, but you've got to understand they are based in a personal experience. This scripture comes as Paul is, is describing his personal experience, and Jake and the worship team is coming to the front. Thanks, Jake. Oh, you know, the, the one other thing I wanted to point out is um, that um, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That's also a part of his testimony. He chose me because if anybody deserved to be separated him for eternity, it should have been me. But he chose me to demonstrate his patience. God is patient and kind. He is love. And he's waiting. I don't care who it is you know, how far away, I don't care from God. God is being patient and long-suffering, willing that none should perish. It is the love of God that causes him to be able to wait on people as they continue to oppose him. And Paul was thinking back on that. And then, as he finishes up, he says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That was coming out of his own, own experience with God. I was separated from God. I deserved separation from God. I was a sinner, but he chose me, and I now know who I am because he extended mercy, and he filled me with his love and faith, and he did it to show everybody that he's patient and long-suffering. Oh, hallelujah. I would like for you to take 90 seconds, and I would like you to stop and, uh, and just contemplate what God's done for you, how he saved you. I would like you to go back to that time in your life when you were opposed to God. Or if you were raised in the church, go back to that time when you first realized that God was your father and he loved you regardless of any sin that you'd committed in the past and he'd sent his son. Let's all go to that place. Mine's in Marion, Illinois. In about the year 1962. That's where I'm going to go. You go wherever you need to go. And you just be there. And then we have a song that we're going to sing.